Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Arc of Thoughts podcast. In today's episode, we've got a special guest with us. And it turns out he's actually like a, a family member since I got married. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this is Mr. Khalid Isat, uh, a lovely community member uh, from our local community, alhamdulillah, uh, who does a lot of different type of community work, uh, whether that be from the charity work that he does abroad, inshallah, that we plan to speak about, as well as um, the the keep uh, clean posse group, is it? Come on, we've just talked about this. I've just got over it. Clean Street Posse. Clean Street Posse. <laughs> clean Street Posse. Um, in which they help to clean up litter um, around the local community. But before we get into those topics and some of the topics that we also want to talk about, Khalid, um, one of the main things that you're really well known for, especially within our community, not just yourself, but also your dad as well, is about the grassroots football and how you're involved in grassroots football. Um, so tell us a bit about it, Khalid. Like, how did you get into it? Obviously, well, you went through your dad probably. Um, but how, what has your involvement been in grassroots football since when you were younger? Uh, what have you done and what inspires you to continue going? Oh, wow. Um, first of all, welcome, Salam. <laughs> <laughs> um, been involved since, what, eight, nine years old. Um, I don't think I had a choice when it comes to football because whoever knows my dad, he's football mad. Um so from I think eight nine years old and now I'm thirty, I'm twenty two. <laughs> uh, act like I'm thirty six at times, but yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just been involved like from first playing as a child, the growing up started refereeing, then kind of got to a semi pro level. Um, at the time, I didn't want to go any further. There was other reasons why, which I might even go into today, um, and then. From there, started helping out the youth, managing youth teams, then senior teams. And Alhamdulillah, for the last five, six years, been running a senior team as well. So mm -hmm. that's started off in seven side and now carried on to 11 side. Okay. So been quite successful. So how has it been like managing the youth teams and the senior teams? So the kind of things that like, I'm interested to know about as well is like, what sort of demographic of players do you have in your teams? Do they tend to be varied? Do they tend to be from like a smaller community or what? Yeah, so when we started off, uh, my aim was, as my dad was always trying to portray was uh, and push out, was the agenda of mixing people in. So whether it's from the Pakistani community, mixing with the Indian community or mixing with the English community, you was just basically trying to get everybody together. Mainly it was because uh, of racism, we wanted to get the Asians and the English together. Mm -hmm. So ever since that, it's always been drilled into me, always trying to mix teams up. So. There was a lot of Asian teams out there. Well, initially it started off with just one. Um, and then it's just over the years, I think we've got about eight Asian teams now, fully Asian teams. And then there's obviously a lot of English teams. But how I've always tried to do it was to mix it up, so have half and half. So when people look at you, they don't just see you as an Asian team or they don't just see you as a white team. Mm -hmm. The reason being is because I've been in teams where I've played for white teams. Mm-hmm and sometimes they forget that you're the only Asian there and they've come in and saying they're playing an Asian team and they've come out with some racist slurs and I've mentioned it uh, to the manager or I've spoke out about it um, and then when they're playing an Asian team they do go in a lot harder mm -hmm. on Asian teams Okay. Um, because one is you're Asian and they're white they're just going to go in a lot harder but then saying that you do get a lot of the Asian teams have it with a lot of the English teams but I, in the on the football page I don't think it's as bad 
as it is just generally where we're the first ones to claim race the race card. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think also growing up, growing up, I think the times have changed from where you've got a lot of hard people playing in your team where mm-hmm. there's, there's no nonsense. Now it's like. When it comes to the younger one, you can't really say much. You have to put your arm around the lad and say, it's okay, don't <laughs> worry, before they get upset and stuff. So it's one of them things, isn't it? But as times are changing, I think we we as managers and teams, we're changing as well, um, trying to adapt. Um, but there's less youth coming through. I would say there's a lot less youth coming through now compared to about 15 years ago. And that is the cause of this truth. That is really, really, okay. it's really sad because when we were growing up um i mean i grew up in little Howard, so benson street corner shop was, was ours and saturdays on the weekends it was literally going up 10 o'clock in the morning don't come home till nine o'clock and we were playing on st stephen's and little old cage mm-hmm. days if you we used to even have gone had matches against um what's the one on Wooded age st john's okay. we used to go to different areas and play matches right and it was just football 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 all day now i see the youth growing up and it's all about mobile phones, playstations, uh, social media, shisha bars, dancing, girls, all that stuff. It, don't get me wrong, we did do some of the things, but majority of it was sports oriented when we were kids. I mean, like, even some of the games that we used to play when we were kids, compared to growing up now, there's nobody playing out on the streets. Mm-hmm. I don't. I know there's certain things where it's. Because there's more cars on the roads now, so there's not many kids that can play out of the streets because mm. it's quite dangerous. And you hear of all these things that this could happen and that could happen. And somebody's been, I don't want to get into it, but somebody's been assaulted in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they've also built in the fear factor that we won't even let our kids out to play as much. Yeah, And that starts off from us. And it's not just the kids themselves. So... But yeah, that's that's the football inside. Refereeing started off at the age of twelve, but you can't referee a game till fourteen. That's okay. the actual FA laws. So I got to a semi-pro level at the age of sixteen. Um, at the time, I didn't want to go any. F- well, I got to semi-pro, and the last game I did was one of the first few before the actual FA Cup first round. Mm-hmm. They have preliminary rounds. Okay, and. I was ref- the one of the last games I did was at Marine FC. I don't know if you remember Marine. I think I've they played, it. Yeah, they yeah, played yeah. Tottenham. Uh, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was refereeing up there, and it was a midweek game. And basically, you got no social life. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, because what they want you to do is go out. Them days, the money was absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a lot of abuse. Um, and I'm not saying I just did it for the money because I did I did enjoy it, but you had to basically fit into one of them. And without coming across and <laughs> being blatant about it, but you basically, for an Asian, mm-hmm. it was very difficult. Okay. As in like, you have to adapt to their lifestyle and their stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I've spoke about this on other things before and as other people. Now, when I mean like, you have to fit into their life. So you go to the when you get to the games, FA rules, di- different competitions. You have to get in an hour beforehand. So okay. you travel with the referee. Referee gets paid traveling expenses as well as the game. All you do is you just get paid as a linesman. You just get paid mm. for doing the line. Yeah. Okay. Going to the clubhouse now. Clubhouses work. What's in a clubhouse? Mm, 
majority of the time they have a screen. It's basically a pub, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah, I'm not into all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Referee goes in and you have to interact with other people, which I don't mind because I don't mind meeting. New, I, mean, I love meeting new people, right? But there's places where you meet people, and that's one of the places I didn't really like. And then after the game, they go into the club as well. Go into the club, have a drink, mm-hmm. and the next thing you're surrounded by a lot of alcohol. Also, they they look down on you on a certain thing, and this is a very touchy subject. I didn't really go into something on a different uh, podcast. Okay. Um, it was basically showers. Okay. So being being Muslim, you got to cover your sutter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's bad enough you've gone out in your shorts refereed. Then on top of that, what you've done is you finished the game. Now, there's only one shower in that room. Mm-hmm. And there's three of you as referees, yeah? Um, and basically, referee goes in. Then you've got to go in. Mm-hmm. Now, being an Asian male, you don't want to get your kicks off and go in there fully <laughs> fully naked. You get me? So when you don't go in for a shower, other referees talk saying that, look at him, he didn't even go in for a shower afterwards. Mm-hmm. And this is at a semi-pro level. And you think it is a... It's not about me just going in for a shower. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about that. It mm-hmm. was basically because you need to cover your sutter and there's certain things that you, you can't do around other people. You have mm-hmm. to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, But they look down on you. And I know there was other referees that was there talking about certain people doing this. And I just thought, it's not my lifestyle, man. Yeah. So I kind of like packed it in, mm-hmm. semi-professional level. But I carried on lo- the local grassroots and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's it, really, to be honest. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So I used to play cricket, and it's very similar culture. Cricket has obviously like has got a really high level of like drinking culture, and like you mentioned, clubhouses and like a lot of alcohol around. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The social events are always based around alcohol. Um, and you always try to use an excuse not to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's the same. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and then to, I'll mention the incident. Actually, I remember there was one game we went to, and because. It, Cricket, a lot of people associate cricket with just being chilled out and stuff. And uh, is some people don't even classify as it as, as a sport. But obviously, you've got the two innings, right? Um, to those who aren't familiar with cricket, we're talking about two halves of the game. And in between, you normally have like a 15 to 30 minute break in between. And uh, normally, in the amateur level game, all to be honest, all the way up until like um, national level, you have lunch or you have tea break, right? Um, and in there, there'll be somebody who's associated with the club who brings some lunch or brings some tea or something like that. And there's all this food, right? Um, so there was a couple of Asian lads on on the team. So this lady must have bought um, whatever food. And I was always particular. I look, even if somebody said it was halal, I was okay. I was going to stick to the veg, right? Um, you know, this is going in it. Yeah. So well, to be honest, you know what I forgot to mention that, but yeah, that that used to happen to me. What yeah. are you going to go on about? But so, yeah, well, carry on. Which uh, what happened was she must have said that this particular dish is halal. So the lads just heard, okay, everything's halal. And they started munching whatever was there, right? And they got something in their plate and like maybe five minutes, ten minutes later, somebody walks past and goes, uh, are you sure you meant to be eating that? And they go, yeah, yeah, she said that. It's halal. And, no, 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 that's that's pulled pork, mate. <laughs> and then they wolfed it down, man. Ooh. And I thought, oh my God, man. But I think this is the thing, like, there are still barriers that exist where there is. Um, there is. unfortunately people don't have an awareness or or make it awkward. You know, I want it to come to a point where at the end of the day we have our barriers, um, Cal, and we choose to have them barriers. Like, you know, for example, not drinking alcohol, not having pork, um, not showing your, your private parts. These are our barriers and we choose to have them. 
But at the end of the day, we just want other people to turn around and say, okay, that's fine. You have your barriers. You live your life how you want to. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. You know, at the end of the day, if somebody doesn't adhere to Islamic principles and is not a Muslim, then we don't have to impose um, what we see, like, for example, covering the private parts or um, or eating, not eating pork or not drinking alcohol. Uh, we don't need to go into them kind of things. So these are really interesting, actually, because we've done an episode on, like, racism that's within our community more. Like, yeah. for example, Pakistan is looking down on Indians, India is looking down on, um, or oh. different different caste systems. Or oh, I could go on and on about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this is interesting because what you're mentioning is about, like, mixing between um, whites and Asians. And what you mentioned about the football teams and your dad, how he sort of brought it up where he wanted the two to mix. I think that's really important. Um, we need to learn to have to have our barriers, as in, in terms of, like, what we believe in or what principles that we adhere to. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have to hate a person who doesn't believe in them principles as yes, well. Yes. Um, and we need to break down them barriers, you know, yes. um, both on our side, as well as maybe showing or teaching some understanding to, to the other side yeah, as well. You give them reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. I had a lad that was, uh, when this like when I've gone into managing now. So when I, I had a lad a couple of seasons ago and uh, he's in a number plate, mm. he messaged me. The number plate is in Blackburn, but basically, if you look, his actual name was Irshad. Right. Yeah? But the number plate looked like it said Jihad. Right? Okay. So basically, what's happened is this guy's messaged me, uh, wanting to understand that what does this mean. So mm-hmm. I explained to him, and he goes to me, I didn't know this because I've never interacted with Asians as in sort, because he was originally from Morecambe, then he moved to Great Harwood, and he lives in a very posh area. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, I've never, I've never met Asian people. I don't know what their lifestyle, what the culture is. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things that we have to do. And, you know, explaining something. And, you know, when you actually sit down and explain certain things to people, they've got an open mind. They will accept it. And you're like, oh, right. Now I know why the reasons why you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being, no, we can't do it. Mm-hmm. But give a reason why you can't do it. Yeah, because yeah. it says in Islam that you can't do this reason. And yeah, that's yeah. the reason being. And, you know, people understand it more. And they, they're more... They're more open for you to speak. But when you don't and you just basically shut it off, it does kind of like, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there was that. um, And over the years, like I've, like the Asians and the whites um, always try to build it in. And that's something that I still believe in now because you, within a society now where a lot of it is where I'm doing my own thing, we're too busy for each other. And then what happens is, People read a lot of social media and a lot of um, basically tabloids, newspaper, media and all that stuff, right? If they don't mix in with people, mm-hmm. they don't see it. How are they going to know apart from what they read or mm-hmm. see on social media or newspapers or, or on the news? Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is break that barrier by going out and showing them that, no, this is what we believe in and this is how we do it and stuff. Mm-hmm. That way you do cut a lot, you do break a lot of barriers. Yeah. People understand you. Yeah, definitely. I agree on that because at the end of the day, when you're searching through mainstream media or social media, whatever your understanding is, whatever your thinking is, there's something known as confirmation bias, that you're only looking for what confirms what you already believe. So let's say, for example, you believe that all Muslims are terrorists, right? Then when something comes out in the news about somebody who claims to be a Muslim, who does something which is an act of terror, then that confirms it in their mind. Yeah. But... I think that, and my understanding is that at a grassroots level, at an individual level, 
you can influence somebody just by your own actions and by the way that you communicate with them. It might be a colleague at work, it might be somebody that you know at the football club or whatever it may be, but that's going to have much more impact on that person than, like, for example, BBC News coming out tomorrow and saying all Muslims are not terrorists. Because yeah. let's say, for example, the BBC come out and say all Muslims are not terrorists tomorrow or whichever news organisation, right? Those people who have ingrained in their head that Muslims are terrorists will just turn around and say, oh, they got paid off yeah. <laughs> to say that. Yeah, no, or not. somebody made them say that, you know? Yeah. It's up to us on the individual level to have conversations like this with the people that we know and influences the people that we know. After that, the rest of the world, you know, takes care of itself. Because let's say, for example, Cal, you're doing it and I'm doing it and all the people that are listening, they're all doing it individually as well. How many people are we going to be able to affect and, and you know, just give them a better understanding? Um, I had a lad last year. Okay. And I met him through another person on social media a couple of years ago. And the first impression of this lad, he said something that was borderline racism. Right. Yeah. Other people have actually mentioned to me about this lad saying that he is actually racist. Anyway, last season he came and played for us because there was me, another lad, and I had an English lad running the team with me. So there was three of us. Mm -hmm. So basically he brought in a lot of lads, I brought in a lot of lads, and my other mate brought in a lot of lads. And we basically mixed all the team up. And it was a good mixture of Asian lads with English lads, right? Mm -hmm. Now this lad who I'm talking about in specific, he came in last season. And when I got told that he's coming in, I did kind of thinking that, well, you know what, in the past he has come out with something that was borderline racism. And I've heard from other people first time that he's racist. Anyway, give the guy a chance. First few weeks, I was just trying to get to know this lad, right? Every time he's turning up. And over time, he got to see more and more Asians. Mm -hmm. Now, Christmas time, he was really struggling with money. Okay. So I was in Morocco doing some of the charity work that we're going to talk about. And what happened was, while I was away, one of the lads, one of the Asian lads said, that, listen, does, a, uh, does anybody need some food for Christmas? Because... We've just had a Christmas party. We've got loads of leftovers or whatever. And I hope instead of me taking it to waste or putting it in the bin, is anybody that would like to like, have it? So give this lad credit. He, you know, on our WhatsApp group, I think there was about 30 members. He's openly turned around and said, I will take it because I am really struggling. From that, my other two managers who was helping me out, we've had a little, we had our little WhatsApp group and we've had a little conversation. We thought, right, we'll go and help this lad. Mm -hmm. So I was in Morocco. And I heard about a lad that was playing for me that was going through poverty himself. Mm. So I thought, Jolo, do you know what? Charity also begins at home. Mm. Yeah. Now, it's not, in, it's not directly at my house, but you know what? It's somebody that I know. Whether he's a Muslim man or not, let me just try it. So anyway, I transferred some money over straight into my mate's account who was going to sort it out for him. And anyway, we've gone out, we bought him Christmas dinner, Christmas gifts for his kids because he's got three kids. Mm -hmm. Dropped it off at his house. Um, collectively, it was from us. And basically tried to change this guy's views, right? Mm -hmm. And he didn't text me or nothing. I didn't want, for me, when I do charity work or when I do something good, I don't want credit for it. I don't want thingy. But I just thought with this lad, I'm sure that he might have said something. Anyway, as the time's gone on, it's got to about February, March time. Mm -hmm. And then we were just talking just before the game. Oh, How's it going? How's it, how's family? How's how's your circumstances now with work? Are you back at work? Are you doing with food and all that stuff? He's like, yeah, I'm still struggling. I said, all right. I said, Did, uh, I said, uh, take it. You got our Christmas uh, money that we get. Oh, was that yourself? His face just kind of like 
because mm. I don't think he expected it from an Asian to do mm. something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, from that, we've also got him a job. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to mention the company name, but it's a big tycoon in Blackburn. It's probably the biggest tycoon in Blackburn. We've got him a job there. Okay. And now he's actually interacting with a lot more Asians and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And from somebody who had, uh, how, how can I say, like, negative vibes towards Asians mm -hmm. has become more open to it. And that's yeah. because of showing your character as a Muslim man yeah, and yeah. just being human. A lot of the times it's not even about being Muslim or Christian or whatever. It's about being human. What's the right thing that you're going to do? 100%. And I think a lot of people have forgotten just to be human. Mm. So you, know, you need to learn how to be a human first and then you can learn to be a yes. Muslim. Yes, um, yes. But anyway, so, let's... Uh, Let's round that off there. So we've talked about like the grassroots football and stuff, and you've already alluded to some charity work that you do abroad. Yeah. Um, so I know that you regularly go to Morocco and you do some charity work, but many of the listeners, unfortunately, they don't know you, Cal. I know that you're a popular guy, right? But not, <laughs> not everybody knows you. Um, so what I want you to do is start off by just telling us, like, what is it that you exactly do when you go to Morocco? Um, what, what is the charity work that you do? What are the sort of projects that you've been involved in? And then we can take out like further questions from there as we go along. Okay, so started off Morocco in, I think it was 2013. Mm -hmm. Originally, it was in Ramzan. Uh, two, three family, uh, family friends and uh, family members, they go to Morocco in Ramzan. Okay. Anyway, that particular year, they kept saying to my dad, Oh, it's my boy, you should come with us. Okay. Mama, you should come with us to Morocco, Ramzan. You love it. So that year, when I, my dad was like, Cal, Shoaib, me and my brother, mm -hmm. come on, you're coming with me. I'm booking the ticket. I said, Dad, if you paid, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, okay, I'll pay for your ticket, you come. I said, all right, cool. Anyway, he goes, I've been told that Ramzan in a uh, Muslim country is beautiful. I said, okay, general, let's go. Mm -hmm. So we went down and my dad goes, so at the time when we went down, my cousins do a little bit, they were doing a little bit of donations from family and friends. Nothing big, it was just immediate family and friends that if anybody wants to donate, because there's a lot of poor people there, mm -hmm. they can donate. So we went along, and I think that year we raised about three to five hundred pounds okay. um, within the space of a couple of days. And it's just through family and friends. And we did Marrakesh mm -hmm. and we did uh, Casablanca. Okay. At the same time, when we went there, when I went to Morocco in the, the first ever time, I absolutely hated it. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I absolutely hated Morocco. And I thought to myself, I'll never go. When I went to Ramzan, I fell in love with the place. And I was like, wow, now I know why they call it a Muslim country. Mm -hmm. This is what Islam is all about. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. You know, the Taravis, the Namazis, you know, the just the atmosphere in Ramzan was just amazing, right? And then uh, what happened was, then we went there, had a bit of money. So we were just going around Dishing the money out to the poor people that was living on the streets, and then next thing we find out, um, there's it just happened all of a sudden. I rang my dad up, I said, Where are you? He goes, Oh, we're at the shop. I said, Right, I'm coming there. So I went to the shop and I thought it's Ramzan. And I said, Loads of poor people on the way. This is in Casablanca, on the way there. I seen a lot of poor people. I called my dad. I said, Why don't we just make individual food packs just here? Jello, mm. let's get some kajur in there, let's get some yogurt, let's get some water, some fruit, some they love then. Nans, you know the the big they like tea cakes okay. or buns. We know they say tea cakes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like big buns, right? And um I thought, right, children, you know what? Let's just go around and just make a little food pack and just go around to all the shop uh people. 
And before you know it, I think we gave out about 30, 40 food packs. And there was one guy, and this, this is where it really, really hit me. Mm-hmm. As well as giving the food packs, we were also giving out some money. Okay. Now, there was one guy, he was in a wheelchair, and he's pushing a trolley. Okay. Similar to like a wheelbarrow, right? Yeah. So he's pushing this with one hand because he's got no legs, and he's basically trying to... So at the same time, he's pushing and he's rolling his thingy, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen him, and my dad, I go to my dad, I said, Dad, that, that guy over there, I said, just go and give him a food pack and give him some money. So my dad went along, yeah, and this guy, he was in the middle of the road, busy, busy street, right? He's just stopped. Mm-hmm. And as he's just stopped, he goes to my dad, come here. So my dad gives it to him, and then he goes to me. As it, like, he was speaking Arabic, but you could see the actions of what he meant and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's there trying to touch my dad's head, uh, head mm-hmm. right? So he's there, and then, there and then, that's some for two, three minutes, he's put his hands up in the middle of the road. Everybody's honing, yeah? Mm. And this guy's got tears coming out of his eyes and he's just making dua. Mm. And I was just like, that really hit me, right? Mm. And I was just like, wow. And do you know what he was collecting? And I didn't even realise at the time. He was collecting carrier bags. Okay. So I go to my dad. I said, what's he collecting carrier bags? He goes, you'll find out tonight. I was like, okay, cool. So anyway, went to the big Masjid, uh, Hassan II Mosque in uh, if you ever get a chance to go, go and visit it. So go in Ramzan. <laughs> yeah. So we went to the mosque. And you know there, you know like in England, we've got, we take our shoes off when we put it on racks. Mm-hmm. He's collecting carrier bags for the masjids. Okay. To put, for people to put yeah, their yeah. shoes in when they go into the masjid. And he gets paid like about, in equivalent to English pounds, he was about 20, 30p a day. Okay. That was his wage for the day. And that's when it hit me and I was like, wow. Do you know what? This is touching. I want to carry on doing this. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I took about three years uh, three years out because my daughter was born and then we had other complications. So I never went for three years. And then four years ago, I started again. Okay. And this time when we went, I think I raised about 1,600 pounds, just, uh, just under 1,700 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then the year after, um, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, Chalo, do you know what? If I can hit even a half of that £1,600, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, my phone and the donations were just blowing up. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, this, this was all because we're not classed as a charity, mm-hmm. but we do the charity work. And the reason being why, why people were trusting us, and they still do, Alhamdulillah, is we were very transparent with what I do. Yeah, yeah. So I go there. Um, every day, as you know, I give an update of what we've done. Mm-hmm. So people know where the money's going. We give a list out of what's sadqa, what's lilla, what's zakat collected, anything else that's collected. We we give a specific list and this is what it... And people are just loving it. And every day I'm putting up on my WhatsApp status, this is where your money's going, keeping all the receipts. And before you know it, friends and family got involved and then friends of friends, family of family, mm-hmm. they all started donating. And alhamdulillah, so went from 1,000... Just under 1,700 to the year after, 10,884 pounds. Oh, cool. uh, me and my dad was just like, wow. Alhamdulillah, like, whoa, what's going on here? And then the year after was uh, last year, pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't do as much, but we had a couple of guys now because we created these yeah, links. Yeah. They were donating. Last year, we hit just over 21,000 pounds. Okay. Uh, this year, again, in Ramzan, we hit over tw- uh, about 22,000, 23,000 pounds. But at the same time, in the last, the first two years, 
we started building, uh, we went to one of the villages that we give zakat to, a very poor village. And they had a Madrid, they had a mosque there. Mm -hmm. And it was just a shell. Mm -hmm. Now all these people is zakat liable people. Mm -hmm. So we went there two years on the trot, going to visit. And I was like, that mosque is there, but it's not done anything since the last time I was here. Mm -hmm. Spoke to the guy. They brought the padlock, they showed us inside. So we made the intention, me, my dad, and the other lads who was with us, we made the intention that we're going to try taking on this project and build this masjid. Mm -hmm. Some people told us that it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. The reason being, it's very hard to get masjid donations or lilla donations out of Ramzan. Okay. Ramzan, you'll get a lot of donations. But out of Ramzan, you won't get as much donations. Okay. And I'll be honest with you, there were times where it was hard and I got a bit lazy, but my dad was like the main person pushing us. Mm -hmm. And within two years, Alhamdulillah, we built this masjid and we go to visit. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, we've completed it within two years. Yeah, yeah. The shell was there, but we've done everything else. So that's including the rendering outside, painting, door handles, little lights, little doorknobs. All of these things we've done. It. Yeah, yeah. I saw um, like the, the garden lights outside, yeah, the yeah. fencing so, around. Yeah, like, so we did the garden, the, benches, the fencing, the and everything. Trees yeah, the trees. Plants. Yeah, they treat it as like a little community hub now, mm -hmm. which is when we went to Christmas time, the best thing was about it, they knew that we told them that we're coming. All the kids were there, and it was just like growing up in Blackburn mm -hmm. and, you know, at a community <laughs> centre where you're all there, all your friends and everything. Kasabi was amazing, man. There's yeah. like a little youth group, and I was like, yeah, this is what we want. Yeah, yeah. But at the moment, it's still not open because the Moroccan guidelines is that the imam has to go through the Moroccan government and all that. And with COVID, any new masjids that are being built within the last two years, they've not opened okay. until once all the COVID thing is done. But we still go to visit, and yeah. you can still pray inside and everything. But yeah. it's amazing, man. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I saw like the um, the videos of your dad giving azan and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was last year. He was the first person to give the azan in that masjid. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had, I mean, most 99.9% .9 of the donations were from Blackburn and the UK. Mm -hmm. um, crazy. Alhamdulillah. Uh, Alhamdulillah. Um, and then we do orphanages. We've got a couple of orphanages now. Uh, we've expanded our work. So we do the orphanages. We do a lot of uh, medical supplies for people. So, for example, somebody's got asthma, they need an inhaler. Mm -hmm. We'll go down, get the inhaler for them. As long as we get to see, because unfortunately we live in this world now where you have to justify a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I understand why, but then at the same time, somebody who's doing legitly, you know, you have to still do it because over the years people have... In a word, charity has become a bad thing mm -hmm. because yeah, there's yeah. so much bad things that goes around charity. So we ask for proof like that. Listen, show us a, a certificate that you need the money uh, for the medical needs mm -hmm. or whatever. So we do all sorts. Um, and we're still going, Alhamdulillah. Um, I went a couple of weeks ago. My dad's going two weeks' time. He's going to be cutting out some more work there again when he goes. Now it's just like, I don't go for a holiday there. Mm -hmm. I class it as a holiday, but I also class it as work. At the uh, end of the day, it's because you love it and like you know you yeah. feel good about doing it, then automatically these kind of things they don't they don't feel like work. If you're passionate about something, then it doesn't feel like in uh, in Gujarati we use the word boj. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like a burden. Yeah, uh, burden on you to do it. So it does tend to be relaxing. I don't know exactly what you mean. Like, alhamdulillah, I was very very fortunate as well when I went to Morocco. I went with uh, some of my mates, some of my uni mates after we finished uni. 
Um, and one of my mates, he had some contacts as well. And uh, we managed to go to an orphanage. Um, so we spent some time with the orphans and we did like the food packs that you said. Um, and we also went to this village as well. I can't even remember what the name was. Um, Where did you but, go? Uh, you decided to go to Marrakesh? Or yeah, just that? outside of Marrakesh. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the people are so hospitable. Like, it doesn't matter how poor these people are. They want to do something for you for helping them. Yes. So I remember like what happened was um, the taxi driver who was, who was with us, he was a friend of um, my mate's dad from here. So he was taking us everywhere and he was showing us like, you know, give the money here. This way you need to do X, Y, and Z. So um, he'd arranged for us to go to this village. And before we'd arrived at the village, uh, there was a family there that said, we want to host these young lads that are coming and we want to feed them. And, you know, we got there and there was like, the, there was um, there was a the father. He was there with his son. He had his, he had his old mother with him as well. Um, and it was like a little shack or something, but they'd made like arrangement for us to sit and they brought us out some beautiful food, man. Yeah. Still remember that. And, you know, at the end of the day, forget about eating in these, like, posh restaurants and these fancy restaurants. You know, right now, we heard about Nusrat Steakhouse and the, the receipts are from there. Don't know if you've heard. No. A tomahawk steak for 600 quid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Salt Bay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in London. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was reading something last night. What is it? 10, no, £30 for a, a bottle of Coke or something? Yeah, yeah. And 11 quid for a can of Red Bull. <laughs> um... Uh, anyway, that's better probably be, good. It better be made of gold and platinum. Then, <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, like you compare the two foods, right? That family that put together that meal with all of their love and their affection and making it for you. Yeah. You can't compare that food to however much you want to pay for your food. Yeah. You know, they, they're two very different things. Yeah. Um, so Alhamdulillah, like, what, what, I mean, now what we do, we've got a couple of families that we donate every month. Mm -hmm. So we've got a couple of donors from Blackburn who basically transfer the money to me. And every month I donate to these families. There was one particular family and they're very close to me. And I treat them as my second family now when I go to Morocco. I'll tell you the story about, um, there was a sister called Khadija, mm -hmm. right? So I got told she's got cancer. So I went down to a house, um, a family house. Now her story was, she had two kids already. Mm -hmm. She was pregnant with the third one. At eight months when she was pregnant, she found out she had breast cancer. So her husband, as soon as she told her husband, mm -hmm. her husband decided to leave her. So he's basically kicked her out of the house. So she's gone back to her mom and dad's house mm -hmm. with her two children and the third one on the way. So now her mom and dad, they've got another three daughters. One's married. She's got a kid. And then another two daughters, and then basically this, there was seven, eight of them living in this household. Mm -hmm. So she needed money for her treatment and chemotherapy. Okay. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me see what I can do. Now I give the first chemotherapy money on the day because I had the money with me, and I mm -hmm. said, let me see. I said, I can't promise you, but let me see what I can do. Mm -hmm. Now with it being Ramzan, and I was giving every day updates, just before iftari, because of timing was a lot earlier in Morocco to um, open your daddy mm -hmm. compared to here. Just before then, I used to send out my daily, daily, daily update. And honestly, I sent it out just before I started eating. And then as soon as I started eating, 20 minutes later, no joke, somebody goes to me. I've already transferred into your account the full treatment for her chemotherapy. Oh, no. And I was just like, I'm not eating this right. So I checked the account. I was like, wow, alhamdulillah, like, wow. Just, uh, this is just amazing. Mm. I didn't tell the family. Anyway, next day, I went back to visit the family. Now, it's about 45-minute drive from Marrakesh. Okay. Went down to visit the family. And the mother, we had a translator there. 
And she goes, oh, last night um, I had a dream. She goes, like, you've come into our life and basically you come in an angel form and you've donated some money mm. and you've saved my daughter's life. And this was before I give her the money, yeah? Mm-hmm. And the next thing, I pulled out the money and I've said, here's for your daughter's treatment. And the mother, I don't, you know, when it comes to females and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm not a huggy and all that stuff, yeah, person. <laughs> Even when it comes to my own wife and my own, I'm not that kind of a guy, yeah? Because, <laughs> you know what, you know, this woman, she made me feel like my, like my own mother. Mm-hmm. She come over to me and she just, broke down in tears because it was her daughter now her daughter Khadija she was about 30 I think she was about 30 yeah so her mother she come along and she just give me a big hug and she's like just making dua for me then and then I was in tears I'll be honest with you mm-hmm. I broke down and then anyway donated the money throughout the year um, Alhamdulillah she recovered she's had all the treatment she's recovered then last year just before Ramzan I got a message saying that She's got some kind of other illness. Okay. Khadija has. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what has she got? Tell me, then I'll see if I can raise some money. Now, this was just before Ramzan. She had basically something to do with a pancreas. Okay. So I was like, okay. I said, can you send me the diagnostics? Now, the problem was, they couldn't get anything that was like English format, and I never had no translator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I said, okay, Jalo. Anyway, within a week of them sending me this, she passed away. No, 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 no. She passed away and I was just devastated um, hearing the news that she's passed away. And I was just like, wow. So quick from within a week of me finding out that she needs help. And it's just happened. Yeah. So we, we as a family... And everybody who was on my WhatsApp who knew. So we, I asked the message that whoever wants to donate to the family, if we can. Anyway, a couple of people. So we as a family, we raised a bit of money. And then my dad said, right, you know what we'll do? We'll try to raise money for them every day, uh, every month. Mm-hmm. Because the father goes out and he goes to work. He works on the streets outside of Marrakesh. Okay. He gets paid about £6 a day. And from that, he's got to feed a family of, eight people mm. so we thought right you know what she's got three kids let's let's help them with money at least that's one less burden for them mm-hmm. so every month now we donate we give them food and all that and recently you must have seen the videos of me being there at the house yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah um so that was that Khadija and I still like how it happened how quickly it happened I couldn't believe it man mm-hmm. um it's one of them, minute when when your times, you know, you could do everything, and no matter how much you try to save yourself on one side, if it's your time, you're gonna go regardless, mm-hmm. one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, not meaning that in a nasty way, but no, no, no. that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. and this is this is our belief, isn't it? That so um, death is something that's written by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and whatever Allah has decreed, that is our time. Um, mm. It may be our time to go soon as well. Uh, yeah. What do we know? But May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant her Jannah, um, grant her families and Afia as well. And um, obviously yourself and the work that you do. And this is just like a, a small snippet of the work that, that Kal himself is involved in and his family and other members. Um, and I'm really thankful that you shared these stories as well because at the end of the day, this is what um, causes impact um, in our lives. Mm. So Zakhla, for that as well, for sharing the story. And inshallah, I'm fairly sure that there's going to be more stories as well. 
Um, but what I'm going to do is, inshallah, in the video description below, uh, we'll leave a link to college socials if anybody else wants to gain contact or, you know, they want to maybe donate or just hear about some of the other work that he's doing. And, you know, the famous like WhatsApp stories that he's talking about and the daily updates. Um, if you just want to see them, then obviously then... Um, <laughs> I can be on WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. Because I usually, what I, you know what it is? There's a lot of people that, that do a lot of work, yeah? Mm -hmm. don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for everybody doing good work, yeah? Mm -hmm. The problem is, the last thing you want is somebody bombarding your phone with pictures and videos constantly. Mm -hmm. like. So what I do, I send out an update and it's quite in-depth with the update. Did people message me saying, it's a long essay, I can't be asked reading it. All <laughs> that. But you know what it is? It answers all your questions for you. So if you've got any questions, mm -hmm. it's probably answered inside there. And then that way, people don't even ask you any questions because mm. it answered it. And then the WhatsApp, the pictures and the store uh, videos is all on the WhatsApp story. You can just have a look at it. Mm -hmm. So that way, I'm not bombarding your phone with loads of pictures and videos. Mm -hmm. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, I want to carry on doing it. So next, my plan is to go next Ramzan now. Okay. So I'm planning on coming with you on day, inshallah. inshallah. Just not at the moment. We've got the little one at the moment here. And uh, you'll need to speak to your niece. <laughs> uh, to convince her to, to let me go um, but inshallah I have plans whether that be this year next year or some, most likely it's going to be some point in the future but my, my goal has always been when I see it as well it's always been to inshallah come and um, like you say like Ramadan is different in a Muslim country it and is. to be honest you know where I, what time I want to go I want to go at Bakri time I've been there at that time as well yeah yeah. Uh, the first time I went to Morocco we were there at that time okay. and everything was disclosed <laughs> <laughs> everything was closed. I was like, Mom, Dad, you brought me here, but is everything closed? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of them. Okay. But you know what else I want to mention? You know, like Morocco. Every time I mention to people I go to Morocco, mm -hmm. you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. I'm not going to repeat the words, but a lot of people look at Morocco in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. That. There's a lot of, there is a lot of bad things that go yeah, to Morocco, yeah, right? And the first thing that people come out with, why are you going to Morocco for? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, no, this is in your mind. You look at it the way you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. I look at it in a completely different way. Now, the thing is, I say to these people, just think of your actions that you do in Morocco, because there's always a story behind that person or certain things, yeah? Mm -hmm. We go to these villages because there's no help from the government. There's no help from the NHS, right? Mm -hmm. Now, all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave it as this here, if you're a male mm -hmm. and you are born, uh, you have been gifted by Allah with one, two, three, four daughters, no sons, mm -hmm. but you can no longer go and work. Mm -hmm. Your daughters have got to go out and earn money. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. I, think I don't want to go into it too depth. I mean, this is another really interesting topic and I think what it is, especially in a lot of these countries and stuff, we in the West or sometimes like the way that we see it is, we see it as what they're doing and what they're selling and the services that they're offering um, is they're doing it out of their own choice. But sometimes we forget the human factor of yeah. it's not choice. They're not doing it out of choice. Yeah. Um I don't, like I said, like you said before, we don't want to be direct here. Um, for now, this conversation can stay indirect and maybe in a future episode, we can be a bit more yeah. direct about it. Um, but it's not always the case that people do things out of choice and sometimes they do it because they are forced to be in that sort of situation. Um, it's not just the case in Morocco, uh, Cal. 
I think it's also the case over here in the UK where we are yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, it happens in, to be honest, it happens in. It probably happens in every country. Yeah, yeah, yeah? yeah. It won't just be in Morocco, but I think Morocco is specifically yeah. known for it. Mm -hmm. And what I say to these people is that you know what? When you go to Agadir, when you go to Marrakesh, why don't you just spend ten minutes and going out to the village on the outside of these places, mm -hmm. and you'll see on how poor people are. Mm -hmm. And then you'll start realizing that, you know what, this place is actually a poor country. Because mm -hmm. Marrakesh is only that little bit, mm -hmm. that's the tourist side, and you think, oh yeah, what a place. But go out, some, no joke, drive out 10 minutes, 15 minutes, mm -hmm. outside, go to the villages. You will see the village estates, and you think to yourself, wow, even now, back home in our countries like India, Pakistan, even their houses are better than what these guys have got now because they're living in that state yeah so i think even even those people who you deem to see as like well off and stuff as well um i remember we when we went to uh, morocco um one of the we we saw there was one person one particular individual that we got quite close to and um mashallah he was really nice to us and he looked after us and stuff and he had a couple of sons and he was taking care of us whilst we were on the trip and he had a couple of sons so what we said was uh, one of the days we went to a water park so we said to him that listen if you're willing and you if you allow will you let us take your sons we'll pay for them we'll take them for the day out because you've been so nice to us and you you know you look after us we want to take the kids out for the day so he was more than happy and you know um the kids came along with us to to the water park and i'm only mentioning this story to you now cal because originally this is what 2017 so four years ago mm. i've forgotten about this story right but one of my mates that was on the trip with me he said that he went recently and he met the two boys and the two boys they still talk about the day that we all went to the water park because we saw it as something small you know yeah and like but you've changed that you've had an impact on that person's life yeah exactly and i think this is the thing like sometimes we see something as like small um whereas unfortunately in our eyes it's small but in somebody else's eyes it's something huge um and you've you've had a huge impact on their life yeah zakallah here for listening we're cutting this episode short but the conversation is inshallah going to continue in the next episode um where we'll talk about a few more things um and we'll talk about some of the we'll talk about things around littering that we talked about. Um, inshallah, Cal may want to come back in the future as well, in which he wants to talk about a particular topic, um, and we'll allow him to to mention about that in more detail as well. So stay tuned for the next episode, and inshallah, we'll see you in the next episode where Cal will continue his uh, his lovely stories. Inshallah. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.